Having agency is defined as the capacity of individuals to act independently and to make their own free choices. Tune in to get an inside look at the inspiring uphill climb of businesswomen from around the world. I'm your host, Cheryl Gillihan, and this is Woman-Owned Agency. Tiffany, it is so wonderful to have you with me today. Um, this is going to be a fantastic interview. I'm so excited to share about the different things that you're doing in the in the space. When I met you, I was actually doing a, a human-centered design workshop with uh, one of your teams, and I was so just enamored with you and your story, and we connected immediately. And we have the same birthday, which is really awesome. (laughs) Um, So it was just an immediate connection. And I have just, it's been a joy to have you facilitate some conversations with my team too about inclusion and accessibility. And you've really helped sort of broaden our perspective on that and and teaching us some of the tools that you use. But today is all about you. And I want to learn a little bit more about all the work that you're doing and agencies that you have. So if you would just introduce yourself and introduce your company. So, um, so, so excited uh, to be a part of your podcast and, you know, just your vision coming into fruition. And every time we meet up, it's great. But um, like you mentioned, my name is Tiffany Martin. I am uh, the CEO of Jansen Co., which is a digital marketing agency as well as CEO for Visiotech, uh, which is a web-based uh, company, technology company. Uh, and we try to service persons with disability with uh, software and hardware and just coming up with uh, concepts and solutions to help them advance. Uh, so those are the you know, two companies that I've, I've built over the years. Visiotech was the most recent one um, right before the pandemic. We kind of got in at a, at a very good. I hate to use that, you know, that phrase right now with everything going on with the pandemic, but we, we kind of came in at a, a, a good spot before everything kind of hit web. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so how long have you um, had Jansen Co? When did you found that company? Jansen Co was founded in 2014. Um, and it was right. Um, let me take it back. The idea for it was birthed in around 2008, 2010, right uh, right at, you know, the bubble, economic bubble, as well as uh, we were seeing a shift. That's when, you know, Web 2.0 started coming out. And so um, I just took a fancy to it. And then a couple of years later in 2014, I just, you know, we talked to a couple business partners and it was just something I really wanted to launch. Um, we were... I felt ahead of the curve in social media and in the direction it was going. And so that's how uh, Jensen Co. came about. That's great. Um, would you say that you're pretty entrepreneurial? Like, do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? I do. I had that entrepreneurial spirit uh, at a very young age. And then I went, um, oh, another thing we have in common, our alma mater, UNT. Uh, <laughs> when I went there, I got my degree in entrepreneurship. Um, and you know, as soon as I got out of college, um, just started looking for business opportunities I could get in. And, um, I started 
you know, with the business mind, but the more, you know, I got into it and the term social entrepreneurs, you know, started coming out, I, I dove into that to see what that was about and lean more toward, uh, you know, my core values and what I wanted to do. So um, just tried to make a shift uh, in my late 20s to kind of go into that capacity as a social entrepreneur. So I had no idea that social enterprises even existed until I joined Cause Labs in 2010. I actually at UNT sort of wrapped up my degree in business and community service. And I thought for sure that I would go into the nonprofit sector. I knew that I wanted to do something social impact focused. And so I thought that's where my path would take me. But it was just, there were a lot of different factors and a lot of different reasons why I didn't end up in that sector. And then when I discovered Cause Labs, I was like, what is this thing? What what is this social enterprise? <laughs> um, and so recognizing that business could be for profit and for purpose was just this fascinating thing to me. And I can't I can't unlearn that. I can't look back. I can't imagine even if I worked for any other company, if I didn't own Cause Labs, if I did something else for my day job, I would always find a way to bring purpose into that at this point, you know? Yeah. Um, I've learned so much in, in doing this. And so, well, tell me a little bit more about the purpose of Jansen Co. and some of the impacts that you've been creating there as well as with Physiotech. Well, with uh, Jansen Co., we really wanted to focus on the science behind marketing with our clients. You know, kind of go... And you kind of know about it, dealing with nonprofits, kind of advancing, they are more uh, prone to more traditional techniques when it comes to, uh, you know, fundraising and ideas on marketing. And so what I wanted to do is kind of show here are metrics that aid into your cause and we can back this with, you know, storytelling of, you know, what you need to do. And so that was one of the fun parts of the job is, you know, meeting with different, you know, nonprofits, coming back with the team, and then just building strategy around their core values, as well as what story are they trying to tell? I I am a storyteller. Like, I, I love knowing the different layers about what it is that people do and why they do it and then conveying that message and and studying how people gravitate toward that so that was something I wanted to optimize with our team everybody you know has that same spirit when we go in and meet with different companies and so forth uh so that's you know in a nutshell what you know what we do at Jansen Co with Biziotech the origin of that came when I actually lost my vision and I realized um, that access to information and technology was so limited with, you know, people in my position. Um, and it's even the disparity, I mean, it's even more with people in underserved communities. So it's just, it's, it was an uphill battle to get access. But once I did, um, my mission was to make sure that all of this, this wealth of information and, and things out there would be accessible to everybody, no matter socioeconomic status, 
just anything. I, I wanted to get that out there. And so I wanted to utilize Visiotech as that vehicle to come up with ideas, you know, meet with other people, collaborate in order to um, advance this population who has otherwise been kind of looked over. So that's, Visiotech is, is my rebel child, if you will. So, you know, that's, it, it is, both of them are near and dear to my heart. But Visiotech is kind of where, uh, if, if I could probably label both of them, Jessica, I can do a little bit more advocacy, but Visiotech is my rebel. <laughs> we, you know, we are making changes in the world. How we do it in our strategy and what we do, it, it differentiates between the two. Yeah, and locally, you're getting some recognition for that rebel child as well, right? So aren't you um, an advocate or ambassador in your city for those with disabilities? Yeah, so um, DeSoto, Texas, um, city of DeSoto, I um, met with the mayor years back before she even became a mayor. And, um, you know, when she did get elected, we had a conversation and she was adamant about inclusion within the community and what that looks like. Um, so I started with uh, CPAC, which is the Citizens Police Advisory Council that they have, which I thought was unique. It's not that common, uh, you know, from what I've, you know, researched. And so this gives um, our community an opportunity to have a representative in those meetings with our police department. Um, so a lot of conversation comes up on, you know, how do police officers approach, you know, different residences that might have a person with disability? What does that look like? You know, um, different tactics that they use, you know, how can we de-escalate situations so we don't have ter terrible incidences we've seen across the U.S. with just the lack of information that, you know, our police departments are going into these communities with. So um, just having that voice in those spaces is um, amazing. And then we've seen different uh, spaces throughout the city um, making our uh, parks, you know, more in, in inclusion for um, not just, you know, persons with disabilities, but our elderly community, changing places where there are steps into ramps, you know, just being conscious about universal design and what that looks like uh, throughout this city. So. Um, She's done a great job. And just speaking about women-owned places, you know, this is a African-American woman as the mayor in this space. Even our council um, is very diverse. Uh, we're both not just gender, uh, but, you know, in race, ages. And so it's just, it's really unique to be in a uh, community as diverse as it is, so. Yeah, that's fantastic. And actually, I bet there's so much value in the discussions that actually happen on that panel, on that committee um, with the police force. I just, I, it would be wonderful if some of that information was like open sourced and actually made publicly available because when you said, you know, how do you approach a home where someone with disabilities might reside? I don't know the answer to that question, you know? And um, that's something that we as, everyday citizens also have to encounter, you know, um, what is the appropriate response? I think, you know, in 2020, especially there was a lot of conversation about 
diversity, inclusion, and particularly, you know, related to the Black community and with everything that was going on. And, you know, we had focus groups and panels and internal team members and a lot of conversations about what is our appropriate response to this? You know, how do we be empathetic, but not, and for me, especially, you know, as an impact company, I didn't want to jump on a bandwagon, you know, of course it's important to me. And of course it's something that we care about as a social impact company, as a public benefit corporation, but I didn't want to make a company statement just for the sake of making a statement. Yeah. But I didn't want to look like we were ignoring it either. Um, and I wanted to take informative and actual action and not just a a statement that is like expected, like, oh, as a company, every company should ex be expected to say this, you know, and I didn't want it to come across that way. <laughs> you know, it was funny because once these things started coming out in the news, um, you know, we had, you know, different clients, so, you know, we need to come up with a same coming up with, and I'm, it, it opened up the conversation of, well, have you always, you know, what have you done in the past? You know, you don't, if, we're, if you're going to talk about it now, the people out there are looking for historical, you know, data to show that you've always had involvement in it. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it kind of goes on deaf ears. And so it, it, it brought up a moment to pivot for some, you know, many of the organizations we work with to start being conscious about who it is you're actually talking to and, and, and incorporating that, you know, that these different terms and vocabulary, you know, into your everyday speech. So the content that you're coming out really reflects, you know, this well-diverse idea um, of your support. And so that was one thing, you know, we kind of faced and had to educate, you know, a lot on, you know, what that looks like when you put it out in, in public facing, you know, forms. Let's talk a little bit about that vocabulary because we were talking earlier and you mentioned intersectionality and I was like, that's a hard word to say. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's some great meaning behind that. And so I was sharing with you how, you know, last year we really focused on the fact that we needed to measure how many women owned um, suppliers, vendors, and agencies we actually worked with. Um, when we were doing our annual impact audit, I didn't know the answer to the question. So the first thing we had to do was measure. Um, and once we measured, I thought, wow, that benchmark is dismally low. It was like 3% of our vendors we knew were woman owned. Um, and yet I know so many woman owned businesses. And so it was a matter of like, auditing that and figuring out, okay, well, where can we make some shifts? You know, where, where do we, you know, host our websites? Where do we, um, buy our paper where do where do we buy our t-shirts you know and, and who who are we partnering with for design and who are we partnering with for content and so we made some intentional shifts in our supply chain last year um, to focus more on on women-owned businesses because our benchmark was really low um, we had already you know set some benchmarks and and made that shifts for environmental impact because that was our focus the year before um, but then we were making that shift for women-owned businesses because there are so many of us, but I just don't feel like we're showcased and highlighted enough, um, which was the impetus for this podcast. Mm -hmm. But when you and I were talking, you said you also, as a company, made a shift last year, and it wasn't specific to women-owned. So tell us more about the intersectionality. 
So internally, just in you know my own space, um, just reflecting, I kind of took an inventory of uh, me, if you will. So out of that came, okay, I am a, I'm a woman, I am African-American and I deal with a disability. Um, so intersectionality became uh, something like just, an internal thing that I wanted to see realized in the work that we were doing. I don't see a lot of myself in the different spaces. Um, I don't see myself in a lot of corporate spaces on the C-suite level. And so it was important to me to connect and collaborate uh, with that, uh, just to have more context to what it was we were doing at the agency. Um, as well as taking that information and educating other, you know, companies uh, that don't look like me. So they understand that, you know, there are persons, there are groups, uh, there are communities uh, that we're not tapping into. And you can, you know, if I can be a representative, you know, for that and what that looks like, then sure. So, um, you know, as a, as a team, it was one of those we do want to help those that look like us, but we also want to take that information and share it and spread it. Um, you know, whether that's through sensitivity training, whether that's, you know, getting hired for content marketing and, you know, building out what that looks like. It was just really important for me to work with, see, advance uh, different areas that I saw myself in. Yeah, and as business owners, we have to create that intention. And, and once we have that, then it's hard to unknow that. You know, we can't not be aware of that in the future as we make decisions about who we're working with, who we're partnering with, which clients we take on. Um, it always, it's always there at that point, you know. And once we create that intention, that's how we can actually create that change and be advocates for that and really empower that. So I'm hoping that those who listen to this podcast, one, recognize all the wonderful women that I'm able to interview um, and how inspiring each of you are, but you, you each bring something really unique um, to the world and, and what your businesses do. Even though all of us run agencies, we all do a little bit something different. You know, we, we all bring something unique to the table. And so I really value that. So is there anything, and particularly, you know, let's talk a little bit about design and disability. Is there anything that's commonly misunderstood um, by your clients potentially, or when you're explaining to people that, you know, you run a design agency? Okay, let, is it pertaining to me or their ideas? Uh, potentially their ideas of it. Um, the one thing, uh, and I, I don't know if it's just something that's just pronounced to me, but when we talk to different agencies or different you know, brands and they want to reach the community, they automatically think that they should segment a portion of like their services or products to fit. And I'm constantly just, you know, don't do that. Like, you know, it's just like waving a red, like, no, 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 no. And they're kind of shocked at like, well, we have to include them. Why wouldn't we segment? And I'm like, 
you are literally going against all the work and the advocacy of different groups and what they're trying to do. Like inclusion doesn't mean setting aside a portion of that service or product. Inclusion is universal design. You know, building out stuff that includes everybody. It's already like in your what your strategy in your work plan. So when you're coming out with products, you don't have to go back and, and, and focus on that portion of segmentation. It's already within what you do. Um, one of the greatest you know, examples I've always heard of were um, just something as simple as um, a door. You know, you have a just regular door, you know, some people, oh, just put a doorknob on it. What if you deal with somebody with arthritis? You know, that that doesn't help them. What if you, you know, work with somebody, you know, whose arms are amputated or something like that? You excluded them. But let's say with a grocery store, you have an automatic door that just opens up. Well, that helps pregnant women, you know, that might be, you know, going to a store, having kids and, you know, having multiple things in their hand. That helps a person who's in a wheelchair. You know, that helps that helps an elderly elderly person that they don't have to, you know, simultaneously might possibly hold a cane or a walker and try to manage the door. It's just being mindful of that design. It doesn't take anything away from your design. Um, doesn't, you know, remove anything, um, omit anything, but it just keeps everything in mind. So you're you're just working in that mindset that includes everybody automatically. So that's the one thing that I've, you know, noticed that is just. It's a pet peeve, but a lot of people, it's just, that's kind of what they result to when you think of it. You just shared so much wisdom. That was so <laughs> great. And I loved the example of the door. That was like, it's it's an accessible story. Like we all recognize what the change is there and, and how that can impact multiple people. So thank the you so much. That did not you come from me. That, that was, um, I have to uh, pull it. It was an example that I heard actually from a, um, a deaf man and he he basically did a TED talk and mentioned that and I was like yes <laughs> like it's as it simple. makes so much sense yeah and I'm you know I always use the example of like the the ramps versus the steps and when, when he said I'm like yeah we're saying the same thing but yeah like it's just we just don't think like that and it's just we have to get out of this one-dimensional thinking of what uh somebody who's differently abled, you know, mm -hmm. possibly need and what that looks like on the spectrum. Well, I would love to hear, do you have um, a favorite story for a project that you've worked on or like just sharing with us, like, what do you really get passionate about? What do you love doing? Research is my thing. Like I really, I really enjoy it. Um, I take a large portion out of my day dedicated to it because um, it, it helps build my creativity. And one of the projects, I can't really say it's new because um, it's weird. Um, I did a proposal maybe years ago, not realizing it, but you know the the trendy word now is the metaverse, and um, Ironically, 
uh, when Google Glass came out, you remember that ancient thing? (laughs) (laughs) But when it came out, um, I had an idea. I met with uh, my business partner um, and I'm like, hey, how can we incorporate this into like, into the internet? Like, you know, it was very archaic at that time. You know, we are just spitballing and just trying to come. And I'm like, we can use these glasses. We can do different experiences. We can bring audience. And so I just, we just wrote out the proposal. Um, and it just, it didn't hit. Like, you know, it was, we got, you know, it's too far-fetched, you know, it's, that's expensive. Da-da. And I'm like, no, we got it. So when, you know, Facebook did the change to Meta, I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> You know, this is what we have been talking about. And so I, um, you know, set aside the team. I'm like, hey, um, I want to restructure some things. And I do this, you know, with my company, like every two to three years. You know, we take an inventory where we are. And if there's some things, I want to shift. Um, it keeps us relevant. Um, and, you know, just on our toes. But in this case, I was like, I want to restructure. I want to get into the, you know, metaverse. Um, what does that look? It looks, everybody has like a, a common idea of what that looks like for, you know, just the, the normal persons, if you will. But it, my thing was, okay, what does this look like for persons with disability? If everything is kind of driven, you know, with AR, it's primarily a visual experience. What does this look like in other aspects? Um, so then we started kind of like creating these spaces, what needs would be in these spaces, who would need these spaces, how do we, um, create the hardware to suit these persons or the software, um, you know, how do we utilize AI to, um, make sure that this group of people, once this does, you know, become a thing within, you know, the next decade, you know, that we're not behind or have to catch up, that we are already in the conversation. So what, you know, what does that look like and what is needed for that to happen? And that really came about with um, the pandemic in 2020. Once the offices shut down and everybody was, you know, pushed to online working, schooling and everything that really gave the uh, differently able community just a huge window of opportunity for us to get in. You know, a lot of how we navigate the world is online. Now that the world is forced in our space, you know, in a sense, we can, we can, we can get the jobs. We can get the, you know, adequate education you know we're not excluded or you know thought after the fact and so that was kind of my um, motivation and like hey I want to get in front of you know the conversation and really mold out a space you know to where okay all persons can thrive in this new uh, universe that's coming and so that's kind of my um my passion project, you know, one of the things that gets me excited. Um, and then also, you know, the fact that we can go back and bring, you know, pull up old ideas that we see haven't, um, 
you know, it aged well. And so that's, you know, that's my thing. That gets me excited. That's really <laughs> amazing and awesome. Um, and, you know, as you were talking, I was like, gosh, yeah. Like sometimes we just have to wait for technology to catch up with our ideas and like what we're thinking because you can't get traction. You can't get funding. Like it's, it's not the right time. It's too soon. There's not enough support. There's not enough um, awareness. Like there's just a lot of reasons why ideas might fail initially. Right. Um, so you talked a little bit about the pandemic and how it, it made things a, little, a lot more accessible just because everything went online. One thing that came back during the pandemic was the QR code. And I remember like the QR code was a big flop. Like it had to fail first so that enough yeah. people had awareness of what it was and the phones actually built in the automatic reader of it. And then when it was needed in 2020, it actually succeeded and it's like back, it's yeah. back in full force. <laughs> um, and it makes things more accessible actually. Who would have thunk it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Like it came back and I'm like, wow, like, you know, I remember when it first came out and I'm like, QR codes, everything. And it just fizzed and so forth. It just, you know, you go to a restaurant, QR code, you know, you, you know, you're watching a, a YouTube video. My husband, you know, he's like, hey, they got a QR code. I'm like, we're doing QR codes in the lower third. Like, yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, and so it's just, it's just funny. Um how technology works and you just you really have to have patience when you're dealing with it because like you said it's, it's hard to get the support behind you know an idea that far in advance um but just to kind of see it come full circle you're just like okay you know you just got to roll with it but you know that's kind of been the thing as of late is just going back and you know looking at some of the ideas we had in the you know 2010, early 2010s, and it's just like, okay, we saw how things were shifting. Now we're in that shift. Okay, so what, what, how can we build this out? So it's, it's just, it's a unique phenomenon to kind of be a part of. Yeah, speaking of going back and, you know, looking at old ways of doing things, I have actually, people have gotten like Zoom fatigue and video fatigue. Um, because every one of their calls is on video now, like there's this expectation, like we're going to have a Zoom call or we're going to have an air meet or we're going to have, you know, like all these different tools that are video conferencing tools. Um, and I have actually started to tell people like, would you prefer to have a phone call? We can do a walking meeting and both be on our phones. We don't need to be on a video conferencing call. And it's been refreshing to have like, a different kind of medium and going back to like just an old school phone call now people are like yes that would be so nice <laughs> you don't feel the pressures of the video <laughs> yes, everything exactly. is now like a phone call to me so <laughs> <laughs> it's like you want to do a room? I don't care if you want to do a conference call I don't care so it's yes <laughs> Well, um, I would like to know if there's any other women that you know that own agencies that maybe I should have on the podcast that I should interview or any shout outs that you would like to, to share today. Oh, as far as shout outs, um, nonprofit 
organizations, women owned. Um, I would like to give a huge shout out to uh, Tiara Moore. She's the founder of Ladies for Art, Culture and Education. Um, but that nonprofit is dedicated to um, just cultivating young women in different spaces, in the three spaces that I mentioned in art, culture, and education. Um, I mean, they do an range of things just in the community, um, providing STEM education in, in some aspects, you know, providing uh, clothing, professional working, you know, women and everything they're trying to get back in for as far as like the young ladies, just spaces for mental wellness. And so it is a a very holistic, well-rounded um, organization dedicated to young women um, in which I'm ecstatic about, you know, it's young people. And then on top of that, young women in these underserved communities, and they are really just opening up access to them and, and bringing them, you know, in spaces and, and uh, you know, different experiences that they wouldn't otherwise have. So I'm very passionate about that, that organization. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I would love to meet her and also just share some of her work so that more of the community would know about uh, what she's doing. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining me today, Tiffany. It is always a pleasure. And I just have so much fun talking to you. And I just learn so much every single time. I, I love you and your your team. You are so fun. Whenever we, you know, do have like, you know, training sessions, they always come with like the best questions, so inquisitive. And I keep up with, you know, some of them outside of, you know, just the work and just all the advocacy that they're doing. You, I mean, you really have a, a great bunch over there. Well, one team member that we had was so inspired um, from the things that you shared that he is now working uh, primarily on uh, disability access and technology focused on that and, and being a product owner for that. So maybe you spent like an hour with our team, but you've changed lives, you know, and you've changed like their whole career path and what they're focused on. Like there's such a passion there um, for the information and, and the work that you're bringing into the world. It, I mean, humbled <laughs> by that statement, but anytime, you know, I appreciate being afforded the opportunity to share that education. So I, I just love collaborating with you all. And um, like I said before, you really do have a great bunch. So 